Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's episode is a talk given by a Church of the Advent member, Dale Brown. Well, we find ourselves in a unique place today, where I think this is the first time I've ever taught something based on what the church calls the sorrows of Mary, or the seven sorrows of Mary, depending on uh, how you want to refer to it. I actually didn't even know this feast or this celebration existed until about a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the passages of scripture that I was going to be preparing for this talk. And it kind of took me a little bit aback because I was thinking, well, I've never really reflected on the sorrows of Mary. I, I knew, of course, that Mary had to have suffered some kind of sorrow, but I had not sat down to think about all that Mary must have endured when she, in fact, was at the foot of the cross, which is what the gospel passage is today. The gospel passage for us today is about Mary at the foot of the cross. Now, we spent the past couple weeks reflecting on Mary. Last week was a, a Marian theme of, of, of our, of our uh, parish calendar. And this week, Mary is another kind of theme for us, looking at her life. And before, you know, someone might come up and say, why are you guys always focusing on Mary? I think it's, I think it's important for us to kind of understand and be reminded, something I always like to remind people about, of what we are talking about. When we open up the scriptures, what are the scriptures about? God with us. The scriptures are about the story of God and people. The story of the scriptures are always about how God interacts with people. If you went into the ancient world and you asked people what God they worshiped, some would say we, you know, we, we worship, they'd probably say we worship a lot of different gods, but they would describe them this way. I worship the God of war or Mars. I worship this God of the sun or I worship the great God of, of, of the pantheon. Or I worship this goddess of fertility, or I worship the god of, of great tragedy and the, and the god of the abyss. And when they connected their gods to their lives, they always had this huge kind of apocalyptic imagery. It was this gods of these particular elemental forces or these things. The gods were always kind of described as being bigger than human. That was how they understood them. Now, if you're an Israelite and someone comes up to you and says, who, who do you worship? Who are the God of, of, of the Israelites? The answer would have been, well, we worship the God. They could have said all kinds of things, but they began to say, and we read it in these scriptures, we worship the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. They didn't describe God in this great kind of elemental force. They didn't describe God using big imagery. They described God in his intimate relationship with humanity. They described him as being in relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And from there on, 
The story of God is carried forward in the scriptures, and people appear in the scriptures, and God interacts with them, and they become a part of the story. And by the grace of the Holy Spirit, direction of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures bring those people's lives to us so that we may read and know that God is not interested in revealing himself in these big cataclysmic events, but he's here to reveal himself to us individually because he loves us and he wants to draw us close to him. And so Mary fits into that. Just as Abraham fits into the story of God, just as Jacob fits into the story of God, just as Isaac fits into the story of God, Moses, David, Mary is a part of the long line of people the scriptures reveal having interactions with God. So we shouldn't be afraid of Mary. We shouldn't think that Mary kind of stands outside of, of what scripture is revealing because precisely it's exactly what it's revealing God's intimate relationship with humanity. And Mary's a part of that story. Now, for us in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, as we said, has Mary here at the end. And it's actually one of only two places that Mary actually appears in the Gospel of John. She fi fixed it now. There's mentions of the brothers and Jesus' mother in a couple places. But there's only two events that Mary actually kind of fits into and is described in a little bit more detail than just being his mother. One is here at the foot of the cross. You know what the other one is? The wedding of Canaan. Mary is at the wedding of Canaan. And John, presumably the one to whom Mary is given charge or basically brought into his household at the foot of the cross, Mary is at the beginning at the wedding of Cana, and now she's here at the end. John doesn't tell the story of, of the birth of Jesus in, the, in, in any kind of historical way. He talks, begins the gospel with, in the beginning was the word. He sets a theological context for, for the life of Jesus. He's not laying out a historical account. He's, I guess, laying out what you call theological history where he's looking at events and he's weaving together the story of Jesus and his gospel and he's placing things in, in particular order to reveal and make things known. And so he places Mary at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus and he places Mary at the end, or the end, and I use that very loosely, maybe we should say culmination of Jesus' ministry at the foot of the cross. She's there. Remember at the wedding of Cana? You do? You remember it, Rowan? Oh, you don't. Let me tell you. At the wedding of Cana, there's a marriage happening. Guests are there. And John says on the third day, on the third day, they run out of wine. And Jesus and his new disciples, which he's just called, are at this wedding feast. The beginning of the ministry. And they're there. And Mary comes to Jesus and says, uh, the guests have ran out of wine. We must do, you intervene, do something. And Jesus says to her, what? What does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. Then Mary turns to the disciples and says, do whatever he tells you to do. And, they, and he says, bring large jars of water. And he turns all of that water into wine. And a guest says, after receiving some of the wine, the guest says, this is the best wine. Why are you serving it here at the last? Usually people 
serve the best one at the beginning when people can remember how good it was. And then when they get drunk, then they bring out the really bad wine just to get rid of it. But here, you served some good wine at the beginning, and now you brought us the best wine. And it used to be that I would kind of overlook what was said after that, but I just want to point out something. That John says, after all this happens, this deed at Cana in Galilee is the first of the signs by which Jesus revealed his glory and led his disciples to believe in him. This was the first sign. Now, I, you know, I've, I've heard about the signs, but I never paid attention that this was part of the reason. Yes, the disciples are here. Yes, they presumably believe something's important happening with Jesus. But here at the wedding of Cana, this is the beginning of them truly starting to put some trust into Jesus and to believe that he is the Messiah. And then Mary disappears, and John brings her back at the end. At the end, which we've just read, where she stands at the foot of the cross, no longer at the marriage in Cana, but she beholds her son, the bridegroom coming, and beholds Christ in the fullness of his glory, coming into his glory at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Mary is at two weddings in the Gospel of John, two marriage celebrations, the one in Canaan and the one at the foot of the cross. Remember in the Eastern Church, in the Eastern, uh, Eastern Rite parishes of the Orthodox Church, during Holy Week, they have called, the beginning of it, the bridegroom services. Mary is there, beholding the great celebration. She's there once again. And just in case you miss it, remember, Jesus, John said, on the third day, that's when they realized they ran out of wine and something greater was about to happen on the third day. There was a foreshadowing, yes, of the tragedy. But in the wedding of Cana, there was a foreshadowing of a great celebration. Remember, they had the best wine. But just in case you're wondering, there was wine also at this celebration. For John tells us, if we keep reading past the little portions of Scripture we read today, that after Jesus takes care of his household, makes sure his mother's taken care of, Jesus isn't going to be around any longer. After the resurrection, he'll ascend to the throne of God and sit at the right hand of God forever. Mary will still be here. So he places Mary under the care of John. And then it says this. After that, after he gives charge of Mary to, to John, he said, the scriptures say, after that, Jesus aware that all had now come to the appointed end, said in fulfillment of scripture, I thirst. And a jar stood there full of sour wine. So they soaked a sponge in the wine, fixed it on a javelin, and held it up to his lips. Having received the wine, he said, it is finished. 
and he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Jesus fulfilled a great request from his mother at the beginning and gave humanity at that time, the human the persons who were there, the best of wine. And he took for himself here the worst wine in fulfillment of the scripture saying, I thirst. He took a jar full of sour wine and partook of it. For you see, that's what Christ does. That's what Christ did on the cross. He was willing to endure all of the shame and humiliation, all of the pain, all the suffering, and even to take for himself the sour wine, which could have been given and it said at, at the other wedding, was expected to come at the end. He went ahead and took it upon himself. And John connecting the two stories, the two bookends of his gospel, with the marriage supper, the wedding feast, places all these images here so that we can reflect on them. So where do we come in with the sorrows of Mary? Well, I think we could easily understand why Mary would be sorrowful. Because she stands in a unique place within our story. She stands in not just as a disciple, though she was. She followed Jesus throughout his ministry. Not just as someone who believed the message of Jesus, though she did. She encouraged the disciples in that direction at the beginning, remember, at the wedding of Cana. But she stood at the foot of the cross as a mother. She stood at the foot of the cross at this great tragedy and beheld her son enduring all of these things. And one has to think, one, I, I presume, and I take a little liberty here in presuming this. There's nothing that points us in the direction. I wonder if Mary, since John took her into her home, might have reflected on the story of Cana and probably brought up the fact that here, that when she was in wedding Cana, Jesus turned water into wine and gave the best. And here, the best that her son could get at, her, at his dying breath was a jar full of sour wine. I wonder if that stuck out in her mind and called John's memory to it when he was writing this gospel. I don't know. But for whatever reason, Mary is at the foot of the cross weeping and enduring the pain of the cross in only a way a mother can. And she brings with us an important part, something that we, as other Christians, though we will never know what that's like, we'll never know what it's like to be the mother of Jesus and endure it. She does bring something to us that I think should carry with us the rest of our lives. Why did she come to the cross? What brought her to the cross of Jesus? After all, Jesus has said to all of us, unless if you've got to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. She came to the cross and endured the cross because she loved Jesus. He was her son. She didn't come to the cross to witness the Father in heaven beating up Jesus so that she didn't have to go to hell. She didn't come to the cross so she could witness her sins being transferred to him so she wouldn't have guilt anymore. She didn't come to the cross 
because she was afraid of dying one day and potentially not making it into heaven. She came to the cross because she loved Jesus. And for all those who come to the cross, we shouldn't come to the cross out of fear. We shouldn't come to the cross and endure the cross, which we all will have to do from, in our lives. She didn't come to the cross out of some form of escapism. She wasn't trying to get away from anything. She was, dry, she was trying to get as close to Jesus as she could. Remember, if you wanted escapism, you had to look to the disciples. They're the ones who ran away from the cross out of fear. She wasn't afraid. She drew near to the cross, not out of fear, but out of love. And that is the message that Mary delivers to us this day. Yes, it is the sorrows of Mary, but sorrow intimately connected to her love for her son. Mary is once again brought to us by the church, not as the great exception that stands out from among us, but she is the great example who stands with us and beckons us all to follow her son, to go with her son, to love her son, and to be saved by her son. This is why we reflect on Mary so often in the life of the church. To the glory of God the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.